This is the second part, though that's probably not the right word because each of these sermons can stand alone. I'm just focusing on a different aspect of, uh, that, that I find here in Genesis 15. Uh, we are going to spend one more week on it, Lord willing, next week where we focus in on Genesis 15:6, a very important verse, not only here but as well uh, picked up in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James uh, in their letters four, four different times. And we'll be exploring that a little bit next week. But we come to thinking about this idea of covenant once again, as we did last week, uh, particularly uh, how it pertains to the table that we're coming to today. So here now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. I love how the Bible paints an accurate picture of biblical saints, one that not only tells us about uh, their good deeds and their uh, high character, but also talks honestly uh, about uh, the not-so-good parts. They're warts. You see David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, and he fell into grievous sin. You see Peter, the, the leader of the disciples, so gung-ho, yet denying Christ three times. And we could go on and on and list many other great faithful saints who had times when they fell in their faith. In the text before us, we see Abraham, the great man of faith, struggling with his faith and the promises that God has made him. 
And here's what I want us to learn today. Like Abram, who is held up for us in Scripture as a man of great faith, just like him, we need to have our faith regularly strengthened. I've heard it said that faith is like a muscle. Uh, you have to, you have to, you've got to feed it and you've got to exercise it for it to grow. Uh, Abraham's faith needs feeding. It needs encouragement. Because it's been some years since God's called Abram out from Ur of the Chaldeans, as God mentions here in Genesis 15. You see that in chapter 12. Uh, he was worshiping pagan gods in that land, and God called him and said, uh, Leave behind your, the, this land and your descendants and your family and go to a land that I will promise you, that I will show you, and you will become a, a great nation. You will have descendants. They will multiply. You will have a land. You will become a great nation. And you will be a blessing to all the nations, to the whole world. Well, he was 75 when that promise was made. Now he's in his 80s and nothing has happened. I mean, he's got no child. Uh, he's got no land. He doesn't own an acre of land. Uh, he has not been a blessing to the nations at all. He's certainly not a nation himself. We saw him go down to Egypt, and what happens to poor Pharaoh gets a curse on his house because Abraham was lying about his relationship with Sarai. He's just finished a war with several nations in chapter 14, so he's been anything but a blessing to the nations. No child, no land, no blessing to the nations. So when God appears to him, here in chapter 15, one can understand why Abram would respectfully question God about these matters. You know, God, you've promised certain things, and what about it? I haven't seen that yet. A quick search of the internet, like I did this morning, will tell you that there are anywhere from 365 to 8,000 promises in the Bible. I didn't look at all these websites, but I did a search, and you can see how many promises are there in the Bible. Well, there were quite a few that said 365. I don't know why. I think that's because for the days of the year. There's one promise for... And then some just said 8,000. I mean, there's probably not that many. Uh, at least that apply to us as Christians, particularly to us. But certainly, there are many, many promises in Scripture, promises that God has made and that we as Christians can claim. But how many of us have read those promises of Scripture and then questioned God about it, just like Abram is doing here? Anytime one wonders, where is God? Where are you, Lord? We're questioning God's promises. After all, God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God. You will be my people. So sometimes we wonder about that. The psalmist did too. Where are you, Lord? Why have you forsaken me? So it's not necessarily a bad thing to do, to wonder about the promises of God and to question those things. Because sometimes our faith wavers. And I'm just saying that we can identify with Abram here in chapter 15. He's gone on several years and nothing seems to be happening. In fact, the opposite seems to be happening for him. He's getting older. The likelihood of him having a child, uh, well, it's long past, long been past. And he's losing hope and faith. He needs his faith encouraged and strengthened. 
Well, here in chapter 15, Abraham's faith is encouraged and strengthened. It's fed in this covenant-making ceremony that we see here at the end of the chapter. It's very strange to us modern people, but it would have been very familiar to Abram in his day and time, in his contemporaries. This cutting of animals and passing between the pieces, you know, the, the animals were sliced in half and laid on either side so that there was an aisle in the middle. This is how covenant relationships were established and confirmed. This would happen when a king wanted his people to make an oath of loyalty to him. The people would walk between the pieces and say, O king, we will be loyal to, to you, and if not, may we become like these pieces. May we be destroyed like these animals. So they're taking an oath, a vow of loyalty to him. If not... They're proclaiming a curse upon themselves. Or you might have two people uh, who are making promises, making an oath to one another, and they walk together through the pieces, and they're saying, we're going to be faithful to one another. We're going to promise to do certain things for one another, and if not, may we be like these animals. We'll keep our vows, or else we may be destroyed. And you see, uh, in certain places in Scripture, Jeremiah uh, 31, or yeah, 31, I believe, there is an episode, no, it's Jeremiah 34, there's an episode where a covenant is not kept and God calls people to account for that and they're invaded by a foreign army. So Abram here is instructed by God to set up this covenant ceremony and he has all the pieces in place and he's waiting for God to show up. He chases away the birds, waiting, ready. And he's, he's fully expecting God to show up and tell him, to vow faithfulness to the Lord by walking himself through these pieces and saying, O oh Lord, I will be faithful to you. And that way, that promise would confirm to God that yes, God, he can, he's worthy to receive these promises that he's made to, to him. But something strange happens here. Something very unheard of happens. God does appear in the form of a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. Uh, the people of the first century audience, or the, the first audience of this book, Moses wrote it to the people on, on the Exodus. That would have meant a lot to them, was how did God lead them? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So the people who are reading this says, yes, God appeared to Abram like he appears to us. So God appears in these forms and he passes through the pieces. And what's amazing, even more amazing, is that Abram is never asked or told to pass through the pieces himself. God is taking the oath upon himself. And it was unheard of. Kings didn't walk through the pieces. Kings didn't take the oaths or the vows. Abraham would at least expect that he too would have to go through the pieces. But here we see God taking the oath for both of them. What a reassurance to Abram. God is covenanting with Abram unilaterally. He's promising to fulfill the promises for both of them. He's promising to take uh, the curse for violations of the covenant for both of them. Now we need to note that these promises to Abram do not stop with him. They were made to that one man in particular, but they were passed down to Isaac, 
we'll, when we go on, if you go on reading about the life of Isaac, God appears to Isaac. He repeats the same blessed, same promises that he made to his father, repeats them to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then so on and so forth, down to the people of God. So the Apostle Paul picks up this idea, and he explains that Christians, by extension, are heirs of these very promises that God is making to Abram here. Galatians 3.16. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your, your offspring, who is Christ. Christ was a child of Abraham genealogically, by blood. He was an heir of the promises. He's the seed that is talked about. Yes, in one sense, Isaac was a seed, but Christ is the fulfillment of that, Paul is telling us. And it goes on, Paul goes on to argue, the end, verse 29 of Galatians 3, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So all that's promised here uh, is, is for those who are in Christ. If you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, and the promises are for you. You're one of his descendants. So when Abraham is shown the, the uh, stars in the sky, you're one of those stars. You're one of those descendants. You're part of that holy nation. As far as the promise of the land is concerned, the writer of Hebrews when he speaks to the faith of Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah, he says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, that country that was promised, yes, he promised them the land of Canaan, and they lived there. But that's not the fulfillment of it. That's not the ultimate end of this promise. It's not Canaan, it's not geographical Israel. And that city is not the old city of Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem that's talked about in Revelation 21 and 22. The new heavens and new earth that you can read about there. It's not just Canaan, but the whole world that we'll inherit as the people of God. We're children of Abraham. We look forward to that promise of, of the new heavens and new earth. And in the meantime, and ultimately... We will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And by spreading the gospel, we are being a blessing to the nations of the world. So when God passed between those pieces, in Genesis 15, he did it for us, who are Abraham's offspring, by faith in Christ. He made promises to Abram and to his offspring. Now at the Last Supper, Luke tells us, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until, eat it, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So once again, 
using covenant language. Genesis 15, the promises are confirmed, confirmed by a ceremony, a covenant-making ceremony. Abraham is wondering about what God has promised. Will he get it? And then God comes along and gives a ceremony to say, yes, I'm making an oath, I'm promising uh, to, to take an oath to death that you'll get these promises. And he's making those promises to all of us who are, who are in Christ. And here, Christ picks up that theme of covenant and he's talking about not simply this covenant with Abraham, but all the covenants God makes with people throughout time. He made, he made promises to his people through Abraham, Moses, David, and he made further promises to his people through the prophets. And they referred to that when the prophets talked about uh, a new covenant. And Jesus is using that language. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Or this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What is Jesus saying here when he says, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood? Matthew, Matthew's account uh, adds a little bit more. Uh, he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death, which is commemorated in this supper, this Lord's Supper that Jesus is instituting here, uh, his death is commemorated, and it's a death which takes the curse for our breaking of the covenant. And we were not faithful to the Lord. And because he passed through the pieces, and he said, if this covenant is broken, then I will take the punishment myself. And that's exactly what Christ is doing. He's about to do here at the Lord's Supper. He's about to spill his blood. He's about to be torn apart like these animals in Genesis 15 so that God can be our God and we can be his people. But also... He is not only fulfilling the covenant promises that have been made before, but he's also inaugurating the new covenant the prophets promised. That promise, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They don't need to teach one another, know the Lord. They all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So when he takes that cup, He's inaugurating these new promises. So he's fulfilling all the covenant promises there uh, in his death. He's taking the curses. It's a guarantee that the promise uh, will be fulfilled for us. We have another ceremony. Abram had a ceremony to confirm his faith, to strengthen his faith in the promises that God had made. We, just like Abram, need to have our faith strengthened. We question, is the Lord, has he forgotten us? Do you remember his promises? 
And so once again, the Lord comes to us with this ceremony to strengthen our faith because we, like Abram, need to have our faith strengthened. Is your faith wavering today? Are you questioning the promises of God? Is it really all worth it? Are you struggling? Well, here at the table, we are reminded of the great love the Lord has for us. He desires to be your God and for you to belong to Him. He desires that so much that He bore the curse of the law for you on the cross so that your sins will be forgiven. Went through incredible pain in His soul. Endured hell on the cross for us, the wrath of God for our sin, so that we could be forgiven. Yes, He's going to... He's going to keep his promises, every one of them. He's already died to prove that fact, to show that. And like Abram, we find that the promises of God have not come to their fruition yet. You know, there's still much to be, to be uh, experienced. The new heavens and new earth, seeing him face to face. No more sin. But while we wait, while, it's, while we wait, it's easy for us to lose faith to lose our hope. But once again, we are reminded here at the table that God is so serious about being faithful to His promises to us that He was willing to take on human flesh, becoming a man and suffering death on the cross, becoming a curse for us in our place to become like those animals that Abraham split in halves. Be encouraged this morning as we come to the table of what the Lord has done for you. We do this in remembrance of Christ. We remember what He's done for us and the significance of it. And all the blessings that are ours in Christ as we're connected to Him, as children of Abraham, all those blessings flow to us. Those promises are for us. And they're confirmed once again here at the table. Let's prepare our hearts for coming to the Lord. Let's pray.